friends, today we continue talking about being thankful as a people, living a life of thankfulness as followers of Jesus as we wrap up this sermon series today. And today we're talking about being thankful in the midst of the unknown. Um, and if that doesn't describe our, our situation now, um, I, I don't know what does. I mean, there's so many unknowns in the world around us. And so it's incumbent upon us as followers of Jesus to, to practice thankfulness, to choose thankfulness. Today I'm going to read a passage from the Gospel of Luke, and it's from chapter 1 in Luke's Gospel. And we're going to be talking about Mary later on as we get into the Advent season, which begins next week. Um, I'm excited for But today we're going to kind of take a different approach. Um, we're going to enter into the Advent season, look forward to the Advent season by celebrating this day that Christ is seated on his throne. But today's passage comes from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 46 through 55, and this is commonly known as Mary's song, the Magnificat. Many of you might know it, but I want you to hear these words as we think about Christ being our, our Lord, our King, enthroned forever. Hear these words. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks. We give you praise uh, for the witness of your servant Mary, uh, for the witness of your scriptures. God, will you speak to us today? Will you make yourself known? Will you take control and be lords of our hearts? All of this we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So throughout this sermon series, we've been talking about what it means for us to be thankful and to practice thankfulness. Uh, to be thankful people. And we've been talking about it in the midst of everything that's going on in the world around us. You know, this has been, I don't need to say this, I don't think, but this has been such a, a rough year in so many ways for many of us. I was just talking with somebody earlier this morning, you know, amidst all of the pandemic and the, the unrest and all of this, the division and all of this, we're still dealing with the normal things of human existence, right? Uh, the, the sickness, the disease, the pain, the loss, all of these types of things. But I think all of these challenges should be a catalyst for us, a catalyst for us to choose to be thankful. And we all have so much to be thankful for. When you sit down and think about it, we all have so, so much to be thankful for, and, and much to be thankful for in spite of all of the unknowns that we face in the world right now. So today I want to practice being thankful, of being thankful in the unknowns. 
And I, I for one, today am particularly grateful for this practice today, to practice this with you all today, because I'm particularly grateful for this day. I think this is a very special day for us as followers of Jesus. It's a day that points us to everything we have and everything we are in Jesus Christ, despite the unknowns. And so we approach this day in a spirit of thanksgiving for all Christ has done. You see, the church is, is, just follows this rhythm that is woefully out of sync with the world around us. Um, and I love it. I love it. It, it just, it's kind of this subversive kind of thing where the church is being the church despite what the world does. But we begin our year in the church with Advent, which starts next week. It's that season of anticipation, of waiting, of hoping, of preparing. We tell the stories leading up to the celebration of, of the incarnation of Jesus becoming flesh, becoming like one of us. But then we steadily progress towards and through the season of Lent in preparation for the celebration of the resurrection at Easter. We celebrate Easter and then we spend the remainder of the year just basking in the light of resurrection and dwelling in the presence of the Holy Spirit. But our year, the church's year, comes to this climactic crescendo on this day. On the last Sunday of the liturgical year. And this is a joyous day. This is a day of celebration. This is a day to express our thanksgiving fully. This is the day we celebrate the present yet future establishment of Christ's everlasting reign. And this day, it informs how we understand and live out every single day that follows. And it's the day to which the, the rest of the liturgical year points. Everything we do uh, starting next week on throughout the year points to this reality, this day. This is Christ the King Sunday. And as I said, it's, it's one of my absolute favorite Sundays of the year. Part of what makes it one of my favorite days of the year is is the way that it came to be an official celebration of the church, because it wasn't always an official celebration of the church. See, the Feast of Christ the King is a day of, of really very recent origin. Pope Pius XI instituted this day, the, the Feast of Christ the King, in 1925. You think about that. It was, you know, less, less than 100 years ago. But he did it for some very good reasons. It's not like before that Christ wasn't king and we didn't celebrate that. But there was so much going on in the world at that time that this day was instituted. You see, the world in 1925 was, was in turmoil, right, in, in the, those years following the First World War, right, which was the war to end all wars, the Great War, right? But there was polarization, there was division, nationalism and secularism, other forms of idolatry, had, had begun to take a firm hold in Western Europe. So they instituted this day as a reminder that followers of Jesus proclaim Christ as king over and against the kings and the kingdoms of this world. Whatever those kings and kingdoms might be. 
I think about our situation today, and the story is really no different. You know, there might be things we can add to the idols vying for our attention and vying for sovereignty over our lives. You think about individualism and greed and human volition, the the division that we experience, the hate that we experience, the various ideologies vying for sovereignty over our lives, not to mention the, the disease and pain and loss and death. All of these things attempt to claim sovereignty over us, over and against the will of God. You know, I think in this day when the kingdoms of the world pull at us from every direction, we need to be reminded that we serve and are to witness to a different kind of king. The king of all kings. And to a different kind of kingdom. We are to witness to the king who has dominion over all things. Whose kingdom is not of this world and whose kingdom has no end. You know, I feel like, I was thinking about this this week as I was working out my sermon. I feel, I feel like I, I say a lot of the same things. I was kind of convicted of that. I say a lot of the same things. But then I, as I was thinking about it, I think that's what we should be doing. <laughs> Proclaiming the same message, maybe in a different way, maybe little details or aspects of it. But we proclaim the gospel, right? That Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. We proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We proclaim that Christ is King, that Christ is Lord over our hearts and all of creation. That message never changes. And we need to hear it. I think we need to continually be reminded of it. Especially as we experience life in the world. But I think when faced with so many unknowns in this world, right, we think about all, all of the unknowns that, that, that are out there. You know, what's going to happen politically? What's going to happen with a pandemic? What's going to happen in my personal life with, with all of this going on? What's going to happen financially with so many people who are struggling? What's going to happen? We, when we've, we're faced with so many unknowns, you know, when the world seems dark and hazy and uh, we, we just can't see clearly, Jesus reminds us that he is in control. That he has already conquered the rulers and dominions, the the principalities, the powers, the spiritual forces of wickedness. That he is forever king. And the details of how his kingdom plays out, though, is unknown. We don't know how that's going to work out. But what we do know is the hope of his promise, no matter what the future holds. We know the end, right? That's what we celebrate this day. We know the end. We might not know how it's worked out in the details, but we know the end. I think about first century Palestine, you know, in that setting, amidst Roman imperial rule. There were so many who who thought they knew how everything would go down. You know, the Romans just knew they had all the power and that their empire would be this everlasting empire. The Jews were divided and split into factions, and all of these factions just knew how they would be redeemed as a people. 
You know, they knew the Messiah would come. That was assured. But some knew he would come if they could just get everyone to keep the law perfectly, even just for a day. That if they could just be holy as a people for one day, the Messiah would come. Others just knew he would come only if they instigated armed revolution. Others knew he would come only if they formed alliances and colluded with the Romans. You know, that's where the power lies. If they could just have some of that power, then their, their, their Messiah would come and, and you know, they, he could establish his own reign. They just all, they, they knew how it was going to go down, right? The Messiah was to enter into the scene start this violent revolution, set his oppressed people free, depose the Romans, and establish his throne on earth. They differed a little bit in the details, but they just knew that the Messiah would come wielding his sword, slaying their oppressors, and redeeming them as a people. What they got instead was a Messiah who came as a whisper. Right? That's what we're going to start. That's what we're going to look forward to and, and, and wait and hope and anticipate in the Advent season. But a Messiah who came as a whisper, not as a conquering king. The mighty one had come in the form of a weak, helpless child born to a young, unmarried Jewish peasant girl who had no status in some no name backwater town in Palestine. You know, it's believed that Mary was all of about 13 years old when the angel Gabriel appeared to her to announce that she would bear a child conceived by the Holy Spirit, a child who would be the long-awaited Messiah. And being engaged to a pregnant and unmarried woman, Joseph would, ha would have been compelled by the law to leave Mary, and Mary would have been condemned to death by stoning. You know, this is this inglorious way for the Messiah to enter into the world. There's a sword there. So how could this be the Savior of the world? How could this child born to an unmarried peasant liberate his people? How could this child possibly inaugurate any type of revolution? You know, there are just so many unknowns. So many unknowns. And really, when you think about Mary, she didn't really have all the answers to all those questions, but she was trusting in God's promise, and she was offering her thanks. This passage for today, as I said, it may be familiar to many of you, it's called Mary's Song, we have called the Magnificat. It's Mary's song of praise sung in response to what God has done in her life and for her people. So she praises God for what he has done in the midst of the Jewish people since Abraham, and then looks ahead, looks toward the completion of his promises through the child that she carries. She doesn't know the details. There are a lot of unknowns, but she knows the promise. The mighty, holy God of Israel has looked with favor on this lowly servant girl. I think about Mary, and I, you know, I don't think Mary gets enough credit especially amongst us Protestants, 
Uh, you know, we see how some Roman Catholics get carried away with lifting up and praying to Mary, and in reaction, we leave Mary out of our story almost completely. But I, I think about our, our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, they venerate Mary. That's the word, they, they venerate Mary. And to venerate simply means to regard with, with great respect. And I, I, I think it's right to regard Mary with great respect because of her immense faith. I also think we should regard her with great respect just like any other prophet of the Lord. You know, in this passage, the Mary, in this song, it, it's clear that Mary is playing a very prophetic role. Rejoicing not for herself, but for who God is and what God has done. She proclaims His greatness and mercy throughout the generations and points to His holiness, that He is set apart. He is all-powerful, all-merciful, all-good. But Mary also proclaims what God will do through her son, his son, growing in her womb. You know, the Messiah, this Jesus, will scatter the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, will bring down the mighty from their thrones, will exalt the lowly. He will fill the hungry with good things and send the, the rich empty away. Mary's declaring that the revolution, if you want to call it that, has begun. And the revolutionary comes as a helpless child. But we know it's, it's a revolution unlike anything the world had ever heard of or seen or known. A revolution not of sword-wheeling violence, but a revolution of love. And she's proclaiming that through this child, the world will be turned upside down. The entire world, the entire created order will be turned upside down. And she's saying that in this child is the climax of the whole story of God's people since Abraham. She's proclaiming that Jesus is the one around whom the whole story turns. A story that ends in the restoration of all things back to their original glory, back to God. That's I, the good news, I think, in this is that by faith in Jesus Christ, we're part of that story. We are part of that story. We take part in God's upside down revolution here on earth. By professing faith in Jesus Christ, we are jumping on a moving train. Right? It, we're, we're joining in on the story that's been going on for, for millennia now and are inheritors of the promises going back to Abraham. And we jump on this train which is headed to God Himself that we might meet Him face to face, know Him. This is the future hope that we proclaim on Christ the King Day. That's what it means for Christ to be Lord of all creation and to be Lord of our hearts in that. And so it's a, it's, it's a reality that we are to proclaim each and every day. It's to define who we are. It's to define where we're going, despite the details of how we get there. It's a hope that was inaugurated when God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. 
But it's not just a future hope. It's a present fulfillment as well. You'll notice in Mary's song that she uses the, the past tense when speaking of what Jesus inaugurates, this, this Messiah, this one she carries. As she's singing this song of praise, he has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted the lowly and filled the hungry. He has sent the rich empty away. Christ's kingdom is at hand. And that's precisely what Jesus says when he enters the scene. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's at hand in the person of Christ. It's at hand here, today, now. But we know it hasn't yet come in its fullness. And I think that's the importance of this day. It's the importance of why we stop today and, and remember and celebrate this reality. You know, next week we enter into the season of Advent. We start a new year. Next week. We start this season of waiting, of preparing, of hoping, of anticipating to all to, to celebrate the incarnation of our Lord. But we do so in the knowledge that it ultimately ends on this day, in this reality, that Christ is King, that Christ is Lord over all creation. But I think about Mary, it seems like she's, you know, jumping the gun a little bit as she proclaims these things as, as already happening. But we see evidence of this around us. You know, the, the rich don't seem to be very empty. In fact, they seem to be gaining more and more. The gap seems to be growing be between the rich and the poor. There are still those who are impoverished, who are oppressed, who are starving, who are hungry. People worship idols and false gods, and there is unspeakable evil that occurs each day, all around us. But we also see evidence of the kingdom breaking through, of light in the midst of the darkness, that Christ is busy conquering the spiritual forces of wickedness. I think, you know, nobody prays or makes sacrifices to the ancient gods anymore, right? It's like they just disappeared. But we do see people doing incredible good in the name of Jesus. We see glimpses of the hungry being fed. We see glimpses of the homeless being sheltered. We see reconciliation and restoration slowly take place amongst people who previously held animosity towards one another. We could use a little more of that, but we see glimpses of it. But all of these things are just merely a foreshadowing of the future restoration that is to come in its fullness. All things reconciled back to God. But how will this restoration happen? When will this restoration take place? That's the unknown. Just like Mary, who had no clue what her future might hold as, as the mother of God, as the mother of, of the Messiah, but she knew the promise. She trusted the promise. And she offered up gratitude in her heart for what God had done and had yet to do. This is our state. 
For us, too, the promise is sure because we know the one who's making the promise. The hope of Jesus Christ has been made known. If that's not a reason to be thankful, I don't know what it is. So we offer up our thanks, we offer up our praise as a way of life. The reality of Christ the King shapes everything that we do, everything that we are as a community and as individuals. My prayer is that we would go out into the world with that hope, that sure hope in our hearts, choosing to be thankful in the midst of all the junk, but choosing to be thankful, knowing that the Lamb who was slain has begun His reign. Alleluia. Praise be to God. All praise, all honor, all glory be to our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah.